So hello everyone watching and listening. Good afternoon from London and welcome to the Free Radical Podcast episode number 14. This is your host Swami Patmanava. I'm here today in the company of a, another recently discovered friend, Bhima Karma Saragrahi. So Bhima Karma, thank you so much for, for joining. <clears throat> I'd like to share a few words about Bhima Karma and then we will continue with our conversation. Bhima Karma was born in a Gaudiya Vaishnava family, his two parents being disciples of Srila Prabhupada. From age 3 to 12, he attended the Gurukul in New Vrindavan, where he experienced various forms of physical, mental, and spiritual abuse. As a result of this, he undertook a decade of concerted healing efforts, which eventually inspired him to become a trauma therapist. Bhima Karma is also a palmist, utilizing Vedic elemental systems, including aspects of Jyotish and Ayurveda, as well as a renowned Mridanga teacher, in relation to which he has founded his own school called Mridanga Sampradaya. Bhima Karma has been initiated two decades ago in the Balab Sampradaya, and he lives in the UK with his wife Chaitanya Lila, who similarly serves in areas of healing such as psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, and trauma therapy. So before I forget, let me share a few references for those who would like to connect with him, with Bhima Karma, know more about his work. One first website I'd like to share is his website, mridanga.com. And a second one is a YouTube channel that he and his wife have called Saragrahi Seeking the Essence. And there I'm just including the link for those who are watching. <clears throat> so, in my personal experience, I came to know about Bhima Karma um, from Nam Rasa's podcast. Uh, and I became quite, as I was telling him a few minutes before starting here, quite impressed by the content of his presentation, the mood, the groundedness, uh, the, his balanced humanity, spiritual depth, mm, uh, rare combinations to find. Uh, and interestingly, at that time, I was telling him I was not that aware of all that he went through in his life, in his childhood. So recently, I came to know more about in detail that it took me to even appreciate much more the place he has reached. So in the context of that, in between that, I remember a few years ago, I also wrote to him with a few questions in connection to Balab Sampradaya theology and so on. But especially recently, I watched this uh, conversation he had with his wife, which was published in, in their YouTube channel. And there he described in considerable detail his own experience uh, with abuse, so to say. And since also in my personal case, in my own way, I've gone through some experiences of abuse, all the different from his, I felt Bhima Karma is the right person to have a conversation with uh, on this particular topic. So as usually to begin with, this the Free Radical podcast and this podcast considerably revolves around the idea of radical personalism and the contents of my recent book on radical personalism. So I generally, Bhima Karma, I love, love to invite our, begin our episodes by inviting the guests to share a few words of what the term radical personalism means to you. Ah, okay, well, thank you so much for your kind introduction and thank you for the honor of inviting me here. 
really nice to be here. And it's a really brilliant topic. Uh, when I first saw some of your posts starting to come out and introducing your book, and I caught a few uh, snippets of some of your uh, lectures and podcasts and, and some of your uh, lengthier posts that detailed some of your ideas, I was really happy, uh, more than happy, uh, to see somebody really uh, resonating to what I saw also as the, the core of what is needed kind of at this historical moment for us all as Krishna Bhaktas uh, in terms of like you, like the personal humanity sort of really not, not only longer being two pieces of personal humanity and uh, some transcendent philosophy, but really developing and the radical idea, I think, is quite appropriate because from what a lot of us are experiencing and seeing, uh, there's a, a lot of sort of big rift between these two for a lot of uh, devotional communities right now. And so I think there is a radical shift needed hmm. uh, to really freshly look at this, what is it to be a, a person of integrity? as opposed to someone who believes a philosophy or can speak their way around a philosophy, somebody who can actually cultivate an integrated personality and just be present in it. So I really appreciate the topic and uh, I'll just share a quick anecdote. Like when I had first moved to Vrindavan uh, in 99 was my first longer trip. Um, I came with the idea of Mayavad <clears throat> being, okay, people who don't think Krishna is a, a person. And I, there's, you know, some truth to that. Uh, but I found as I started kind of just conversing with, you know, other Vaishnavas in town, uh, basically I understood a little, oh, it's the Vada or the, right, the, the whole kind of perspective or philosophy that says that the Jagat or the, the manifest world is Maya. And in this case, Maya meaning, right, illusory, mm -hmm. false, fake, and so on. And I, I kind of, I was really ruminating on this and I was like, wow, this is actually uh, really deeply important because the way I was understanding things up to that point as someone who was born and raised in ISKCON, mm -hmm. I really never thought very much about the difference between the objective world the jagat pure spirit it's krishna in a different form oh, I was like, okay and then but different from this maya this idea of there's something illusory or and when i started contemplating the difference between those two things it was a huge radical shift <laughs> mm, mm. and and i just i i can't be more happy with this being you know uh, the topic that you're highlighting and writing a whole book about, because I really think this topic is, uh, with this topic, it is possible to create a radical shift in the international Vaishnava community. Hmm. Thank you so much for, yeah, for your appreciation. And yeah, I was thinking about the last part when you were talking about this notion of the universe is illusory and false. I mean, that's a whole separate episode we have to have in itself. <laughs> right. 
but that was the very last chapter of my book. I mean, the longest chapter of my book about how to also redeem our connection with, with matter, our connection with the body, our connection mm. with our human condition, including emotions, mm. psychology, relationships. And, and as you are mentioning, and still gradually we are getting to our main theme, but how even to have us go, yes, also we are not officially Maya, but <laughs> in one sense, the way we may relate to to matter, to the world, to ourselves in, 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 a, in an embodied situation, sometimes can be pretty much uh, impersonal, depersonalized, and, and, and that can have the implications of abuse as a result of that, as a result of deprecating whatever is not the highest ideal, so on and so forth. So I, I really appreciate your your point in this connection. And I really feel, as you mentioned, and it's, this is not a promotion of my own book, because in one sense, I don't feel it's my own book. It's just a way of framing uh, a conversation that needs to be had among the members of the Gaudia community, and as you mentioned, this particular side gaze in this particular time. So that said, of course, all this has to do with the topic we will be talking today with Bhima Karma, which is seeing, grieving, and healing abuse. And somehow we, we chose this title, of course, not only because of what I already mentioned, Bima Karma's own experience of abuse, I have my own experience of that, but also especially in connection to also to how we are supposed to deal with trauma. How, how first of all, I will say first, how to acknowledge and address it, how to name and frame trauma and abuse for what it is, and also and not, mm -hmm. not, not, to, not to repress it, basically not to create a, mm -hmm. an alternative narrative to to sugarcoat whatever is going on <laughs> right. uh, and then also grieve it as as much as we may need allow for for whatever expression mm -hmm. needs to be mm -hmm. go, gone through and finally heal it so it may be hopefully ultimately redeemed and we may be redeemed by whatever experience we went through uh, and understanding the causes also for abuse what takes someone to to act in that way so history does not repeat itself in the future. So, so before we start official with our conversation, let me read the brief section of, of my book in this connection, which will be in page 70, and it has to do with radical wholeness. We already talked about radical wholeness with Dania a few weeks ago, but this will be from another slightly different perspective. So it says like this, although being itself a personalist tradition, contemporary Gaudiya Vaishnavism sometimes presents the opposite in the forms of various shades of disguised impersonalism. This is expressed through a lack of human sensibility and psychological balance, which includes emotional atrophy and endless types of unaddressed abuses. We need to become whole and human once again. We need to become individuated participants in our tradition and especially and gradually, we need to become edifying elders. We call this radical wholeness. So basically the above section inspired the title for today's episode on seeing mm -hmm. grieving and healing abuse. So I don't mm -hmm. know, Bima Karma, if we would like to continue, kickstart with some further thoughts, whatever comes to your mind, we'd like to share. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a real poignant piece here on integrating kind of two opposites here. Uh, mm -hmm. And to make a whole, and there's a right a common phrase that uh, I I've always run into, right? That Krishna, being the right the supreme entity, 
the absolute entity that includes everything, hmm. is not simply a sum total of his parts. We can't just take a bunch of pieces and put them together and, and then right that makes that personal entity behind there. But instead, the person is the possessor of these different pieces. And uh, so in Balab uh, Sampradaya, we have a, we, we use the Aribautic, Adhyatmic, and Adhidaivic uh, mm. terminologies and concepts to basically organize this idea of, so we have an Adhyatmic, Purusha, internal, right, unseen, unchanging aspect of us that is abstraction. We have the Aribautic, the Prakriti, externalized, constantly shifting temporal aspect. But the person is the possessor of both of these things and cannot be known by either of those opposites or even mm -hmm. understanding the dynamic of the opposites. The person is the possessor of both of them. And so in being raised, for example, in, in ISKCON and so on, the, I, the base simple ideas that I had ingrained in me and that I experienced was just these two sort of opposite ideas. There was a very abstract picture, you know, imagined spiritual realm, you know, uh, this idea of Krishna and Golokdam and so on. There's here I am in the material world and, and the material world and this spiritual world idea sort of played at odds with each other. Hmm. And furthermore, we had, I got a pejorative, right, kind of denigrating emotion right, that was tied up with the quote-unquote material. Mm -hmm. And so the way that I would treat in my mind and physically anything that, you know, I would call material, mm -hmm. right, food, pleasure, my body, my family relations, right, all these things were sort of... M mundane sometimes. Huh? That was the yeah, word... Mundane, which has this negative connotation in that as well. Yeah. Oftentimes, right, the negative connotation of something will, sometimes it's not even spoken in a concept, it's just conveyed in the way we treat things and, you know, and then subtly, yeah. right, triggered by a tone of voice or something like this. It's quite a, it was something I didn't learn maybe so directly at all the times, but it's something I learned in between the lines a lot of wow. how I emotionally treated those aspects of myself and everyone else as well. So, for example, one real uh, deeper thing was we were taught that we were Krishna's kids mm -hmm. and that we weren't the children of our parents. It's this we were told quite directly. Hmm. And, uh, you know, this. Is, why should we celebrate how we were born into this body of, stool, urine, pus, blood, mucus, bile, and air, and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so when I, when I was getting older and, and I started asking myself, what do I really know about this tradition or this philosophy in which I was raised? That's kind of where my starting place was. But when I started actually reading the texts directly, looking into the you know bhagavad gita krishna speaking and different play and looking at the word for word meanings and just trying to really understand directly i started immediately seeing a, a very strong contrast between what was being presented in the texts uh -huh. and this sort of 
teaching that was, you know, partially philosophical, but a lot of it just, right, observing and peeling and, right, that more yeah. abstract formation yeah. of my Bhima Karma personality. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of work for me. To, I don't really understand this tradition uh, based on my experience in ISKCON. And so I started saying, oh, wow, I'm going to really, if I'm going to really even accept or reject you know, Krishna consciousness or Vedic literature or anything, I'm going to have to actually understand what it really is on its own terms. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah. that was a philosophical part. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll just quickly digress and say, okay, a, a, def a working definition of trauma in English terms. It's, it's interesting even to begin with, where does this definition comes from? Uh, come from? So there's a, a large buddhist movement right which has exerted a lot of influence in modern culture and so peter levine is the founder of what's called somatic experiencing which is you know one of two clinically proven systems for resolving trauma symptoms now he had a lot of buddhist influences and you know he quotes some buddhist authors such as eugene genlin and you know who focusing and so these all draw on Sanskrit terminologies mm -hmm. and then just get translated over into English. And what you have is basically a, a consideration of what they translate as felt sense. So this, uh, as I studied Murdanga, I have to study Natya Shastra or Drasa Vichara, mm -hmm. right? A topic mm -hmm. any Gaudiya Vaishnava is familiar with very deeply through Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Mm -hmm. So anubhava, right? The embodying of bhava, sitting in a bhava or with a with a state or a bhava, and gradually it will populate into my body, and I'll get to know how that bhava feels right now through the reflections in my bodily sense. So when something happens, anything happens, right? Our body is going to respond just energetically with a balanced amount and type of energy. When what is evoked in me, the rasa, that which is evoked versus the bhava, that which is expressed, right? Mm -hmm. When that, what is evoked in me to respond, that is overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. I right, am unable to successfully fight or flight, essentially. That's the symptoms that now will evolve out of the freeze state because here's all that energy where's it going to go i can't right fight or flight it's going to lock itself up here into a freeze and now i have to form symptoms in order to constantly manage i'm now constantly in that state hmm. that was evoked mm -hmm. and so there's a bunch of symptoms that will now form in order for me to manage that constant energy that's going to be turning 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 mm -hmm. so until i actually piece by piece i'm able to process in other words express experience and express that which happened to me i will have symptoms of i'm avoiding and overwhelmed by this responsibility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a kind of, so the symptoms that arise in the wake of a over uh, an experience which is deemed by the experiencer to be overwhelming, right? 
you could say that's kind of like a working definition that I can use for trauma. Hmm. But it's also just in considering how this, the mechanism underlying it of bhava, anubhava, and so on, therein lies the same, uh, just understanding that mechanism Hmm. gives a very different perspective on bhakti, on life experience, on self-integration. Because it's a path of directly experiencing. So when I understand something, fine. But I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna need to actually go through that experience. And what what is that experience that is being spoken about here mm-hmm. in that text? And acclimatize my body and make it a suitable, like a rup- as Rupa Goswami calls it, the patra, right? A mm-hmm. vessel. And in trauma. I'm going to have to form a vessel that obviously didn't exist. Hmm. But that's going to, if I successfully do that, I will have developed a whole ability to contain experience that I would never have. And now I have become a vessel to hold this type of experience for anyone who's around me, my family, community, and so on. So I'll, I'll stop there. That was a bit of a long piece there. So, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I was thinking to begin with, reflecting on your own words for a while. To begin with, how interesting what you mentioned. Okay, you you began receiving certain feedback from devotees or the community. Like this means to be born in this world, to have a mother, to be in that womb made of those particular ingredients, blah, blah, blah. And how one then goes to the scripture directly, so to say, and one finds, wow, this is not the actual thing that I was being told. Although at the same time, we hear so many times, in order to understand scripture, you need some other people to decode that for you. But sometimes in the name of that decoding that for you, instead of actually giving access to the depth of it, the actual meaning gets further and further distorted. Encoding. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of ironical, but yeah, paradoxical. I mean, the same process through which you have to gain proper access to the essence can be the very same way that you get complete distorted understanding of that perpetrating trauma, whatever other forms of abuse we will be talking. I think that's an important point for, for us in the community to bear in mind that yeah. Because someone is saying, no, this is, this means this. I was told that this means that many times. And that happened to me a lot also, especially in my research for my present book, especially, for example, in this last chapter that I write on how the world of matter is sacred and not profane. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I was overwhelmed by the number of quotes in Shastra. I mean, I already knew quite a few, but in the research process, so much more came about what Astra is saying about this world of matter and how to have an integrative, wholesome view of it mm. and not mm. creating this like, okay, material world, spiritual world, spiritual life, material life, but yeah. instead integration. Yeah. Uh, and, and in that connection, I appreciate your emphasis on going through and having your own personal experience, which sometimes we may call pratyaksha, and uh, and sometimes also in our tradition, this is not much encouraged. Sometimes the idea will be, again, the narrative may be sometimes 
you cannot trust your own personal experience. You are a conditioned soul. You have these four imperfections. So you have to receive uh, sabda. You have to receive revealed knowledge. But the point is, even in the context of receiving revealed knowledge, that's being filtered through your own personal experience of that. So we, we cannot, technically speaking, ontologically speaking, we cannot escape from having our personal experience of anything. Yeah. So for me, yeah. that creates a very dangerous uh, scenario. To On one side, you cannot escape personal experience, and that's great. I'm not complaining about that by saying escape. On one side, you cannot get away with that, but on another side, you are being told that's, that's not important. You cannot trust that. So I cannot trust something that I cannot escape. So that will mm. create such a short circuiting in, in, in someone who chooses to think like that. Uh, yeah. And actually, again, I did some research and it was so interesting to find, I don't know, Sanatan Goswami in Brihad Bhagavatamrita saying, of all the pramanas, of all the evidences to ascertain reality, Pratyaksha personal experience is the foremost, he will say. No? So, so emphasizing this point that you are mm. mentioning in the context, mm. of course, of, of what you are describing, the importance of, yeah. of going through, no? of going through, of, of we cannot move forward if we are not going through, if we are not acknowledging, as you were given the examples of Anubhav in connection to Rasa, to paying attention to the symptoms and to, how to say, I mean, like to honor uh, what's being triggered. So to say, like Carl Jung will say, if we want to know what's in your unconscious, Pay attention to what triggers you and what's being triggered and and honor that, so to say. Don't dismiss mm -hmm. that. No? So honor the Udipana if we want to continue using the terminology in the Rasa mm -hmm. terminology, yeah. <laughs> which are the mm -hmm. triggers, the stimulants, no, what's yeah. happening, like become, as you say, present and aware in what's going on there. So yeah. I, I just a few reflections in, in connection to, to this topic, which of yeah. course I, I really loved how you connected your own experience with trauma, your learning with Mridanga, which may sound like it's not necessarily connected, but how one thing is taking you to another and all the symptoms of Rasa and Natya Shastra and integrating all that in a, as you mentioned, in a vessel with integrity, in a patra that can really uh, embody and sustain what needs to be redeemed yeah. for you and for others. So, yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> So what else? You, you have something else in mind? I'm, I'm thinking about just, yeah, yeah, the importance of what you are talking, as I like to, to put it, uh, for me to talk about abuse and to talk about how to deal with abuse, uh, it's not a, how to say, it's not outside of the category of Hari Kata, Krishna Kata, as we will say. No, I, I like to mention that. Well, if there's nothing of... outside of Hari, what can be outside of Hari Kata? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> as long Thank as you. it's centrally organized around his uh, right absolute character, then great. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday we were giving a lecture and sharing a verse from the Narad Pancharatra, which basically says, uh, "If you love Krishna, you will love whatever is in connection to him. That's a symptom of love. You love whatever is in mm. connection to your beloved." And mm. the case of Krishna, it happens that everything is in connection to him, <laughs> as you are yeah. mentioning now. So yeah. beautifully, we have no excuse. I mean, if we really are on a journey of loving God, we have no actual reason to not love everything else, basically. Mm. So, so as you mentioned, whatever, whenever we treat any other aspect of reality, be it abuse, be it 
whatever, it's encompassed in the idea of serving God because everything is in connection to Him. Loving everything is a way of it's a symptomatic symptomatic of our ideal love for Him. So, thank for that contribution. And yes, I'm making it that clear because sometimes we may have this like fragmented idea. Okay, Harikata means whatever. Talk about Nam, Rupa, Guna, Lila. These are the fixed categories. Anything else may fall into the category of, I don't know, Gramya Katasa may say whatever, but properly conceived. I mean, to talk about abuse, to talk mm-hmm. about how to heal our humanity, how to individuate, integrate, grow through trauma, as you mentioned, is just another way of addressing the all encompassing presence of Bhagavan. Yeah. Yeah. One sloka that uh, comes up often in the Krishna's first teaching and Gita G, right? Matras, Varshasta, Kuntaya, right? Just talking about balancing opposites of energy, period, in a very basic, fundamental way. In essence, sort of gives a clear boundary of what our capacity is going to be for experiencing directly, period, objectively. Mm-hmm. So whether we're going to now focus on, you know, uh, Sri Krishna you know, in that swarup or, you know, whatever is going to be our focus, what is our capacity for actually having knowledge, right? Krishna defines like humility, pridelessness, nonviolence, like all these things, a state mm-hmm. of being is what knowledge is. So how can I be in that even amidst shifting of opposites is really what uh, I would say trauma opens the doors to. Mm. So mm. happy are those to whom such fighting opportunities come unsought, mm. opening for them the doors of the heavenly planets. Mm. Mm. So uh, I, I guess the huge, just stay sticking with our base topic here, I think the big radical shift here in uh, kind of like the base principle is really shifting from a focus on abstraction, philosophy, structure, concept, right, planning, right, all this kind of stuff, and more into, okay, that will help me tune into a channel. Mm -hmm. Now, what about the flow of experience that tunes me into, and let me now be situated in that experience of what is being spoken about, and see if my understanding matches the experience. Mm. And then every time further, when this particular word is said, this particular con- I know what's being talked about directly. I have experience of that object. Mm-hmm. As opposed to before, I used to just kind of philosophize, memorize, repeat, yeah. while being not situated in a direct experience of what I am talking about right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of what Krishna says in the Gita, ninth chapter, Pratyaksha Bhagamam. No, mm-hmm. this bhakti is to be understood by experience, as you are mentioning. No, not Pratyaksha just Bhagavam Dharmiyam. Yeah, that yeah. Dharma, which is this is yeah. directly perceived. Yeah. I know these qualities because I'm feeling them right now. Yeah, and, and and only in that case, susukam kartum. No, only in that case we can say oh, this yeah. is executed joyfully and with happiness, so to say. It's real. Yeah. And even like uh, right now comes to mind, like in some times that we've all had, and in my times that I've had that were the most trying, the most painful, the most difficult, right? 
uh, when there's connected to that, right? The yukta, the yoga, right? Mm -hmm. It's meaningful. Even, right? It becomes susukam kartum abhyayam, right? Yeah. It's it, immediately, even though it's painful, it's like, wow. And now uh, another interjection here from um, Vidyapati poem, right? The, the last line of one Vidyapati poem, I, I, it's from Nilachale Mahaprabhu. It's sung there one time. And that the, it says that the honest person's suffering lasts only a short time, mm -hmm. right? When we're actually going to, right, not avoid that experience and quit trying to call it names and whatever and say, what is this actually substantially? Let me be in it. Then immediately that can start to resolve and digest. And what I'll be left with is the nourishment, the resources, the unique nourishment or resources that that was gifted through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with the idea of, of course, our your ultimate goal is not even happiness, but it's purpose and meaning, whether it's through happiness or or or, or distress, so to say. You know? yeah. so, so the point is, if we are properly aligned with authentic experience, even in the face of the greatest suffering, we will be able to extract purpose yeah. from that. And that will be our susukam kartum, as you're mentioning. And, and I really, really resonate with the point of, I, I like to describe our tradition also as the, ideally as the path of specificity. So specificity doesn't only mean let's become very unique and exclusive in terms of theory and theological details, but specific about having an experience, having a personal mm -hmm. experience, because if that's not going on, there is impersonalism to one degree or another. No? And what am I going to share? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just going to be like, share, you know, encouraging each other's, you know, belief and philosophy and concepts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's so easy how much we can end up swimming, not swimming even, like floating passively in those conceptual waters and sometimes doing mm -hmm. the copy paste and trying to convince yeah. each other. We are, we are okay. We are saved. We are doing it right. <laughs> but, but the experience is profoundly lacking. So so for me, it's very important because even Krishna can become a concept. I mean, if we are not very much into having an experience of the person Krishna, of, of a living presence, of a living relationship, we can be we may be relating to God as a theological concept only, and and right. everything can be staying there on a theoretical level, conceptual level. And we have so much of that in our tradition. We have so, yeah, yeah, so much yeah. information and details that is in one sense beautiful, but it can be quite tricky that we can think, okay, I, I can compensate for my lack of, of experience with an overdose of information, so to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, high activation without the grounding. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, so uh, in trauma healing, Right, we, we look at, okay, first we want to ground ourselves in a positive uh, experience and develop our capacity for experience there. Positive meaning, right? Like as you were saying, a whole, an experience of wholeness, of integration and so on. And only then we have developed some capacity to start digesting, to start actually facing and having some of the disorganized, right, mm -hmm. unmastered experience, which is still defeating us. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's definitely very necessary to like, like you're saying, we have a concept of Krishna, 
right? And, and you know, and it's, it's really great to, for me, I got to go to the text and see directly what do these words actually just literally mean, and then use that to tune in to the direct experience that I can observe in my, uh, imagine uh, this person who has, you know, completely beautiful limbs, all perfectly proportioned, whose skin glitters with the color of love of, in the rasa, right? That dark blue color, right? And just be in that experience. Hmm. And then there's always somewhere, if I've taken enough time there and I can access it whenever I need to, I can now, right, take a piece of something that's, you know, difficult and come back. Mm-hmm. And, and therein starts like a, a flow before where there was fixity and freeze. I can take one step onto either side and gradually what was separate, we can start sewing it together one little piece, slower is faster kind of an idea there. Hmm. Hmm. Because right, it's not really about the issue we're facing, it's really about getting to know this process of being situated in this beautiful flow of bhava. Hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about what you mentioned about the importance of this preliminary wholeness to be able to deal with one's uh, brokenness. Brokenness. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are, you, mm-hmm. are you there? Yeah, you are there, Bimakam. Okay, the yes, yes. froze for a minute, but the audio is still yeah, going yeah. on, so no problem. Okay, you are perfect. in India. You are in India, so you are perfectly justified <laughs> to have this technical right. problem. No problem. <laughs> but no, I appreciated your point of, of having a wholesome. Uh, foundation and, and a grounding. I, I really love the word grounding. I use it in my word a lot because in my in my work because sometimes we are also we can be very much concerned with ascending and transcending instead of descending, descending, so to say. Uh-huh. I mean, first of all, all be right. properly rooted and grounded when with holes wholeness because sometimes we are very concerned with holiness to make a play of words. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Oh, we need wholeness, or we we could combine the two holiness, if you will. That's the actual yeah. holiness to integrate. We need, we need the realized being to do avatara and descend, right? Come mm. here, mm. <laughs> help me work this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think we lack so much in general that in our discourse, in our conception of that's part of my sadhana. Part of my sadhana is to be a wholesome person, an integrated person. I mean, someone with integrity is someone who has integrated <laughs> so many dimensions in their being no so so i really appreciate that and i think that's also i appreciate that point in terms of the importance of it as a preliminary function so to say be relatively wholesome before trying to even address or deal with uh, ascertaining the trauma acknowledging experiences of abuse because one may try to rush and jump okay let's address the abuse but if you don't have some grounding and foundation that can be so overwhelming that you may yeah. end up being an abuser yourself because of of lack of grounding while ascertaining the abuse you have gone through so to say yeah 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 and uh you know any of uh any people watching I, if you know let's see what topics come up but like right anytime we start to sense our body and we start feeling right disease in terms of maybe my breath has suddenly gotten quicker maybe my chest got tight maybe my mind started racing and i lost sense of where i'm sitting 
Hmm. Any of those things, especially when we're talking about, right, <laughs> intense topics like these, I encourage all of you to just get back in your body, feel physically where you are. Notice uh, these are tricks, right? So Aribautic, right? Awareness. What time is it? Let me look up and like the most stupid, obvious things, right? I'm in a room. My name is B. McCarma. <laughs> I'm wearing a Bundy, right? These noticing these things really helps us mm. to ground. And the main point here is to also not just being a grounding as a good skill to learn, but noticing constantly my state of being. What is my current bhava? And through my body, I get direct, a, a, a flowing direct knowledge that comes through me there. And I think for me, this is, you know, the main thrust of what, like, uh, you can say that I share through almost everything mm. is just build our capacity to have our ground, our center in our body, in, and not just in the physical, but in direct experience that's flowing through it, that we get flowing through our body when we are just really there. Mm -hmm. And from there, when I've like, then as I consider philosophical life problems, have a conversation with somebody, it becomes quite honest because it's where I'm at right now. You know, hey, as you speak about this, boy, I, I get these thoughts coming that, you know, I, you know, I really resent what you're saying right now. And I have these feelings, right, of anger and resentment, you know, uh, because mm -hmm. what I want is to feel like I can just be at peace and relax in the world without all the, you know, you, you know, fanatical philosophical guys coming and shoving all the bobbery, right? And so just noticing these things and being able to converse with each other from mm -hmm. that point of view, mm. I think is a huge, right now I'm talking to you as the person who possesses a Bhima Karma identity, which has the faculty of buddhi, right? And intellect framing structure, man, right? Where my emotions are flowing through, depending mm -hmm. on what that booty is. And, and, and then I can really be where I'm at. We're really, I'm the Atma here, right where I'm at with you. And we can talk about what's really going on here. Hmm. Now I can tell you the truth about my thoughts because I'm seeing their thought. They're my thoughts. I, yeah. you know, wow. In my mind, this is what I'm, you know, and here's the emotions I'm going through and all that. And then we can have a real talk. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. We we unless we are, as you mentioned, unless we are inhabiting the present moment, we are willing to <laughs> take the present with all that it it's implying the moment. Yeah, we cannot have a, any honest conversation. No? So, Bima Karma, what, what about I'm thinking about one of these first stages yeah. that we have been proposing today about seeing, uh. He, grieving and healing abuse. So we have somehow right. talked about some pre preliminary warming up the right. stage right. for going to the seeing. Because as I mentioned in my book, you you we cannot heal something that we are not first acknowledging, right. uh, uh, and, and and we need to to name and frame some things. And sometimes we need even a language for pointing at certain things that sometimes we yeah. may be even lacking the language. And if you don't have the language for something, we cannot talk about it. No, right. as simple as that may sound. If you don't have the language yeah. to talk about something, you cannot talk about something. So, no. so it's so important the the power of even naming and framing 
in this case, we are talking about abuse. Uh, for me, it's another form of, of, of speaking the truth. No, as the Bhagavad will yeah. say, Satyam Param Dimahi. No, mm -hmm. meditate on the supreme truth. But of, of course, the way we connect with the supreme truth will be represented all how we deal with all forms of of truth, basically. And in yeah. connection to abuse, something that comes to mind also mm -hmm. is, of course, mm -hmm. that sometimes we tend to be a little reductionistic in our own understanding of abuse and we may just like consider okay abuse is just and of course it is it is physical violence or in forms of again physical violence hitting someone raping someone or verbal violence psychological but there are so many other forms of abuse that sometimes become normalized in our psychological like gaslighting or scapegoating or i don't know manipulation abuse of power shunning character assassination sometimes called yeah. pastor, pastoral abuse and yeah. if, if those forms of abuse become normalized they eventually may lead to other forms of abuse and and how to say i've seen that we see that throughout history i remember studying a little bit the the holocaust and the nazi regime <coughs> they didn't just do all the <clears throat> terrible things they did in one from one day to another they transgressed something on some level and they checked okay let's see nobody's saying too much so we can go a little bit more <laughs> and uh -huh. they continue yeah. like no we, we have the tendency where okay nobody's yeah. saying we can continue and then you have a holocaust so yeah. I, I i find important the, the important the, the the idea of pointing to even those small so to say quote unquote small erosions of normalcy before it's mm. too late but having a language to do so so mm. I don't know if you have any thoughts mm. about that mm. yeah what is our normal right kind of says a lot about where our center is and I think that the radical right development of this you know personal approach to things mm -hmm. start with what's true for me right now and notice when i'm getting either obsessively focused on just the external aspects of carried away in the a turning wheel of the mind of thoughts that doesn't you know it's lifted off the ground mm. and let's be situated in a personal talk with what's real for me right now and just discuss it um yeah. Now, did you want to actually discuss some of the things that, uh, you know, I, so my unique kind of place, you can say, in our Vaishnav community, okay, I was born and raised in New Vrindavan, and, you know, all the things connected with that. And, you know, from there comes, you know, some unique perspective on, you know, yes, there's stories of you know, uh, dramatic abuses that I've experienced and, and all kinds of things. Uh, but really, it's like, uh, these are kind of anecdotes that can help us see the underpinning causes for these kind of things to have come about. Mm -hmm. What is it in the way that, you know, uh, ISKCON and, and now a larger community treated the philosophy and its practical application brought about these symptoms and mm -hmm. so in that sense these symptoms can be very important and useful and i'll just say like for example i ran into one swami who is the former 
headmaster of one of the Gurukulas. And, you know, he came up to me a few years back and, you know, he, and he was like, what, what do you think I should do? You know, so a bunch of people were getting on his case and, you know, bad talking him publicly and you did this and you did that. And who do you think you are? And, and so I said, Hey, I think that, you know, the best path would be tell your story, honestly, mm-hmm. of how a, you know, a good meaning, you know, guy became a devotee, got caught up in, you know, playing the role of, you know, the most abuse that ever happened in the history of this con and defamed the whole, you know, and how you experienced that and came through it and what you realized. That would be very interesting because only you have had that experience hmm? that went into the dark, right? Where are the jewels made? Where's the diamonds made? In the mountain, in the darkest, densest, deepest parts. And Without those, if you're just going to hoard those jewels all to yourself, right? Like a troll, Hmm. right? You're not playing the role, the amazing role that you could play, which is just as brilliant as it is dark. (laughs) As long as you take that opportunity. And I said, if you do that, I will come and bow down at your feet and glorify you as a saint. Hmm. So these dark stories of abuse and so on are to me just like a proverbial jewel that we can right take those things out of the dark and see the value in them the guiding light that they bring us the discrimination mm-hmm. so yeah. with that having been said if you want to i don't know talk about anything those specific things or yeah, I, I was not having any particular idea in mind. I think that the way we are approaching it, it's more than satisfying, at least for me, mm-hmm. uh, to begin uh-huh. with how you are, how you are beginning your your own story, so to say, or, or how you are choosing to take all this experience in terms of. I I, I really like the expression proverbial proverbial, proverbial jewel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 also I was thinking because you were given the example of this particular swami. Who may have started at a very with a very well-intentioned, as a very well-intentioned person trying to perform certain service, <laughs> somehow or other being ended up in the dynamics of abuse. And yeah. for me, that's an important point in the sense that many times, uh, many of the worst types of abuse that we have seen in humanity sometimes may be done by good people, but with unresolved human issues. <laughs> who are mm-hmm. maybe ended up in a position of leadership, whatever the case, but it's not that necessarily they are evil ontologically speaking, of course, in nature or something like that, but they're just unresolved in their humanity in somewhere or another, and they are not aware because of that unresolvedness that they're actually indulging in a form of abuse. So that lack of awareness makes mm-hmm. for that abuse something terribly, I mean, traumatic for so many, but it's not that necessarily they were bad people in one sense. I'm talking in some cases, each case may be different, of course, but I'm mentioning how this happens quite often, but also I, I really deeply appreciate uh, the approach you are trying to have from a redemptive space. And I'm seeing here Bhakti Ras is sharing something that if you give me one second, Vima Karma, I'd like yeah, to share sure. because I've already read that a few hours ago. <laughs> Which is, uh-huh. she says like this, Bhima Karma shared this in a thread and it speaks to how he approached the sannyasi headmaster. And she quotes what you mentioned. Feeling compassion for the people 
who had delivered the most painful experiences to me, seeing that they were pure, beautiful, eternal people, the same as myself, seeing that they were seeing themselves in such a dark, degraded way, I could understand and then feel the deeply painful situation they were in. So thank you so much for that, Bhima Karma. When I read it before our episode, I felt, okay, that's it. The ideal trailer for our episode. We may even cancel the whole streaming, and we are enough with that <laughs> hosting. You man, <laughs> we have a few proverbial jewels to to dig mm. deep into from that. Well, but... I'll tell you that came in the so in the late '90s. I came across my first guru teacher, this lady named Krishna Leela Casanova, and uh, she was she really took her time. She had uh, done. I think three or four master's degrees at the time, very well situated in her healing profession and so on. And uh, during the course of some years of uh, intensive healing work at that time, I came in contact with my own, uh, you know, I had a lot of sexual experiences with other boys, with teachers, right? When I was quite young that were very embarrassing and shameful to me to even think of in my own mind hmm. that, you know, this, this cringe word is very common yeah. use, right? It's yeah. like, even to think about them in my own mind made me feel like cringing and in my mind, oh, turn it off, turn it off, make uh -huh. it go away. And in time, as I was able to actually just bring those jewels to light in that, you know, real basic way, but actually experience those things. And go through it you know it took time to go through each and there's there's whatever body goes through different shaking and trembling all kinds of things happen as it's digesting the system has to digest it piece mm -hmm. by piece and when i came through that and i didn't need any bhagavad gita at that point to remind me i just came through and i was like wow actually i'm untouched i'm still okay mm. i'm still the same pure you know being of that that is you know just full of this brilliant light which includes personality and differentiation and values and all this stuff and then i that's where i had the epiphany i mm. remembered that the you know one of these particular views and i was like and i could just see that that little bit of shame and disgust that i saw seeing myself in these dark secret shameful sexual situations that were materially called, you know, with so much emotional pejorative feeling. Hmm. And I was like, how much are these people living in and so disconnected from that they're hmm. out of, they, they're not even, it's compulsive. Like, you know, the comma as Krishna puts it, right? By what hmm. is a person driven to these compulsive reactions, even people of discriminating into, it, it's just kama rupa durasada, right? It's that uh, lust. And how painful for the pure, beautiful person in there to think this is me and this is me doing this and this is how I am. Hmm. And so I, I, the only choice I have is to keep doing this and try to hide it. Hmm. Oh, man, just horrible, horrible. Hmm. And I saw right there that for these people, the, the worst punishment actually is simply to be living in that state hmm. where they think that's them. What could be more painful than that? That I just can't. That, that was the bottom line for me. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing the testimony. I, I really appreciate the way. Yeah, 
I mean, the yeah, we are talking about redemption here now, but how that redemption, I will say in your case, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but also how this redemption concluded, uh, started by your own self-compassion as well, by realizing beyond all the shame and all the guilt and all the trauma and all the probably, again, cringy self-experiences that you may have gone through, understandably, for sure, <laughs> Beyond yeah. that, you still were who you were, so to say. You are, as Krishna was saying, the Gita, and I like to quote that so much when he talks about the Atma. Although at the beginning he says who the Atma is not, it cannot mm -hmm. be burned, it cannot, but eventually say, Ascharyabhat, Ascharyabhat, Ascharyabhat. No, like uh -huh -huh. wonderful, 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 basically. <laughs> so, so you had that self compassion, so to say, of, of choosing not to over identify with all that. Of course, understandably emotional way of shame and things because of what you went through. But on top of that, having compassion of your on yourself, which sometimes is not very common term in in our Gaudiya glossary, self compassion. <laughs> and on that foundation of allowing yourself to to reclaim your own integrity, to reclaim your own validity, who was has been always there you can extend that to others and see them for who they actually are and and, and have deep compassion yeah. for others. Uh, because sometimes, again, I, I've seen that uh, there is some sort of dysmorphia in our discourse in terms of having universal compassion for everyone and so on and so forth, but we are not being taught deeply to be uh, self-compassionate, especially with those sections in our own self-conception which are the ones we are ashamed the most basically and uh you know also like the okay as a for example if we're playing the role of a guide in any way for somebody in these terms right self-compassion mm -hmm. okay but to arrive at self-compassion it, it, right it's a very it, it's one thing to like we can conceptually discuss what do i mean by self-compassion what is it in juxtaposition to this or that mm -hmm. but the process of arriving there was a, it's a completely different story uh -huh. uh, like sometimes i, I uh, give a simple example of like imagine at a temple right okay we a typical experience is you know some guy in orange sitting at a vyasasan you know a bunch of memorized shlokas and you know familiar philosophical concepts and you know uh, <laughs> the same old phrases and uh, uh -huh. right but now what if that same person like uh, the temple is not, you know, the cleanliness of the temple is non-different from our heart and so on. And, you know, and, and, you know, everything done in the temple is devotion. Okay, fine. Now, what if we, uh, at a separate time, this person came with me and we both had brooms in our hands. Uh -huh. And with every sweep of this broom, really hold in your mind that this is no longer, this is Krishna's temple. This is Dham. Uh -huh. And with every, right, brush of this broom, what is the experience that comes doing seva in the dom right now? Mm -hmm. right, so, and, and having that experience just for a few minutes, right? Being there and, and having someone really coaching, like stay in there. Well, how do you, what do you notice in your, oh, I feel it's, it's lightning opening. It's like, wow, it's so satisfying. And I just wanna, wow. And I'm just sweeping the same floor I was five minutes ago when it was like, God damn it, why do I have to stay up so late? What about everybody else? They don't do as much work as I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'll arrive at much more realization 
in that one little interaction than I would from many Bhagavatam classes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a and, real... And what about the level of personal trust and contact that would be now had between me and that person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a real Gundicha Marjan Leela, actually. Uh, if you want to play out the implications of that brooming Leela that Mahaprabhu exemplified with his mm -hmm. associate, that has to do with that ultimately. It's not just mere... Uh, cleansing or not mere allegory and analogy, yeah. but how yeah. how much to commit to the actual... Yeah, really be together, in, like the satsanga space, right? The mm -hmm. sat, to really mm -hmm. be situated in that state of substantiality. And it's like, okay, we want to look at my, you know, there, the disgust I had for my own self in these situations. It's like, I needed somebody who was there and helping me stay with the, the little bit of that experience and actually be in it. What do you, you know, we call it this and that and that and that. What I'm actually experiencing is an experience based on my mental conception of the thing. And I'm not even really experiencing the thing mm. for mm. years and years, a whole lifetime could go by. And what I'm actually experiencing is an experience brought about by the consideration of an opinion instead mm -hmm. of ever actually contacting the real experience. But when somebody can be with me there and say, okay, what actually, what is the experience as you, you know, as this gets called, right? Right, it's like, uh, right? The disgust can start coming in the face and in my capacity to be in the state of disgust will now start to develop from where it was frozen. Hmm, yeah. That reminds and in me the future, when I come across, well, I'll just finish the thought by saying in the future, right, yeah. when disgust would come, to the amount that I've actually faced it here, I'll now have the capacity to not be swayed and disturbed when that comes up. Mm -hmm. I'll remain situated. Thank you. I was just thinking when you were talking about sat and remaining in that space, and yesterday we mm -hmm. had a talk yesterday with some devotees here and we we're talking about what does sangha mean what does satsangha mean because again these are words these are terms we get accustomed mm. to that we do copy paste we parrot all our glossary from tip to toe <laughs> but the implications of each of those are, are are so powerful and we were talking just again as you mentioned mm -hmm. we we're just let's concentrate on sat for a while <laughs> Right. And, and sad means truth, and sad means also honest, to be honest, to be authentic. So if you want satsanga, we have to build, uh, as we were talking before, a vessel. We have to build a, a sacred container in which, as you were saying, if someone is just right there with me in the present moment, there is empathic listening, there is mm -hmm. unconditional acceptance of whatever is coming through me, and I know the other person is present there in a real honest way and giving me that, how to say, that sacred vessel, basically. Sat satsanga mm -hmm. for me is creating a, a safe space so vulnerability can be expressed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Because all of us are vulnerable. It's not that I choose to be vulnerable or not. I choose to acknowledge that or not. All of that are vulnerable. So, But we need a safe space so we can really express that and only after that expression of vulnerability we can be actually empowered 
we all need empowerment and that comes from vulnerability but that requires the safe space in which it has to be expressed the sat no the, the promotion so to say of okay let's be honest and and i always like how christian the gita for example when he uses the word sadhu he uses the word sadhu i think three times in the gita and probably the most mm -hmm. famous verse in which he does so is in the ninth chapter, Apichet Sudra Acharo, this famous verse. <laughs> yeah. And, and he yeah, will love say, Yeah. No, so what's a sadhu for Krishna? Sadhu Reva Samantavya. He will say, yeah. Well, someone who is not behaving that well yet, <laughs> but somehow he's honest. He's, he's determined in, in not giving up. He's trying to remain in integrity, so to say. He's honest about his messiness, so to say. But in my eyes, that person is a sadhu. So right. for me, it's very important. Right, like the sannyasi guy, I was like, hey, don't worry about all that stuff. Just share with us honestly uh -huh. yeah. the experience that you've been through. Yeah. And there are very few people in our entire community who have that experience to share. Such mm. a unique and such a valuable service that they could give. But mm. to date, none of them are really all that courageous to do so. Mm. And and to me, it's not based on any, okay, you did this and you did that stories that I'm aware of of any of these people uh, for which I don't respect them in the roles they play, but mm -hmm. rather this point, you know, that, you know, are you able to hold yourself and just be honest about your experience wherever you are? Mm. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, courageousness. I will. I, I, in my book, I connected courageousness with vulnerability, actually, because mm -hmm. I mean, oh, every time you you are courageous, it's in moments <coughs> that you are vulnerable, actually. So it's interesting yeah. to make the connection between the two. You cannot be courageous unless you are in a vulnerable space, and despite that, so to say, you choose to be courageous. But again, if we are not uh, creating safe spaces for vulnerability to be expressed uh, and with this i'm not blaming at anyone i'm just thinking in, in bigger terms if we are not expert in promoting the need for these safe containers and spaces for vulnerability whenever the time comes to be courageous and as you mentioned to share this wonderful unique story that can be redemptive for to generations of people we get totally paralyzed and frozen because we are not courageous yeah. enough, because we have not been support or we yeah. have not been gone through the experience of, okay, I can be courageous, I can be vulnerable, and there is safety. I'm supported. There is support in the environment for my vulnerability. So I think we need to build that quite a lot more. <laughs> and I think that, the, the you know, uh, one uh, Prabhupada quote, interesting little quote, just, mm -hmm. you know, what is what is a leader? the one who leads by enthusiasm, right? Mm -hmm. So in this sense, right, who's the leader who's courage, courageous enough, right, to basically talk directly about the things that matter the most to their constituents, to the, their people in their community, and therefore act as the mouthpiece for the heart of the community. Now, what is a leader versus what's a leader as a post? will become extremely clear. I can discriminate very clearly by guna and karma, mm -hmm. right? Which person by quality and by skill and behavior is doing this? Is leading the Vaishnava community to, you know, 
radical personalism, what, mm. you know, the deeper meaning of satsanga, you know, let's, and let's take it to issue. Let's talk about this, you know, I mean, pedophilia and murder and, you know, all kinds of criminal activity going on for decades and still being ignored, unaddressed, right? Trying to be avoided legally, social media. It's just an avalanche. Now, are any of the people who hold leadership positions in my community leading in this way? Mm-hmm. And and now I can discriminate clearly who's a leader in terms of a, they, they're holding a post versus who's a leader in actually leading the most poignant culture mm-hmm. developing here. Yeah. That to me is a leader. Yeah. And there's many varieties of leaders that will arise as soon as we just look for these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to describe a leader in my book as a, with the term prophets, which sometimes, of course, it can be taken as some descended person from somewhere, but actually the very term prophet means someone who speaks in the name of or on behalf mm-hmm. of. No? Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, someone who is the voice of the voiceless, so to say, someone who, mm-hmm. who is expert in ascertaining the, yeah. the need of the times and can address it with a relevant, relatable language, with courage. Yeah. I, I, at least, as, as you say, I choose to identify the term leader not with a managerial post, so to say, but with mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. with integrity, basically, with and, and with a willingness to to commit to what to the present moment, to what's going on in that particular moment, and to be fully committed with all the consequences of that. To speak about what's taking place in that precise moment, trusting that by being courageous and naming and framing what never needs to be named and framed protection, mercy, shelter, guidance will be automatically there naturally, basically. Because, yeah, if we if we just take leaders as a, again, like some type of hierarchical post or like ecclesiastical role, and we are just passing on the, the seat to the next one, and we do not really address, and of course, for the leader to be a leader, the person has to not only see what's going on outside of me what what's going on inside of me while all the things are going on outside of me because if not we how to say and i've i'm sorry to say that but i feel in many times we have in the name of parampara we we may create something very traumatizing instead of (laughs) as i mentioned in my book one of the duties of i mean we have to embrace our own wounds acknowledge them and deal with them so so those wounds do not embrace the next generation, so to say. I put that in my book, like parampara means mm-hmm. it's not to pass unresolved trauma to the next generation, but to pass resolved trauma to the next generation, to pass the fruits nice. of, of nice. your own resolved trauma and, and the resolved nice. trauma of your generation to the next generation, because yeah. the next generation have their own their own generational trauma to deal with. <laughs> you right. don't have to, to throw your own there as yeah. part of the legacy, so to say. That's not parampara. No, that's right. not uh, being concerned with with the perpetration and the future of the lineage. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, for, for my generation, you know, I can speak something from my generation and our observance of, you know, mm-hmm. not just the NISCON, but you know, the people that we, you know, in our generation have seen in leadership positions, whether you talk about right managerial leadership positions 
like GBC kind of positions, temple president positions, sannyasi positions, diksha guru positions, like all of these types of positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a, a almost like a blackout on people who are even willing to publicly speak about and acknowledge the reality of the things that our very existence represents. Mm-hmm. When I step into many temples just because of existing as who I am, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, my, my dad was murdered. My younger brother died in a refrigerator. My older brother died of alcohol poisoning when his gurukul teacher tried you know, it just and just be standing here as such brings about a nervous system level <laughs> of conflict because the leaders have not yet Right. And I'm talking obviously in a pretty big blanket sort of a way here. Mm-hmm. But this is really what radical personalism, you know, in you know, where I'm standing wants to address is we need to start having these direct, clear, objective conversations mm-hmm. so that these things can start not I mean, we're to me, we're still at the point of just acknowledging the reality of them. <laughs> I heard and I read in this book. Well, I'm here to tell you it's a lot worse than it was in the book. <laughs> the amount of daily physical and and uh, you know mental abuses that we suffered really hopefully will die with us but <laughs> suffice it to, but the leaders really don't talk about these things they're avoided in almost a, in a cultural way i mean sure you'll have symptoms in the way things are spoken about and the way things are legally dealt with and the way right rituals are done but it's just on a very deep level this our existence my whole generation's existence is not wanted mm. and so you we see over decades of time you see less and less of us around any of these temple areas which is really it's our community and our place that we are born into mm-hmm. but we've been basically scooted out of it mm-hmm. in that sense yeah and so leadership would be great right uh, and i'll recognize some of these leaders as real leaders when they start even at least bringing these acknowledging the truth and being able to talk about these things and right making my generation of my community at least feel like welcome and some kind of regard as to what we represent totally totally agree with that i was talking last saturday with brian mclaren he's a christian uh, author, but we we're basically talking about on similar lines about the as basic as that may sound, the importance of having a conversation about it. Because instead of okay, how we can solve it? No, no, we don't talk about how we can solve. Let's talk about it first. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like let's and go behind the secret closed doors where none of your disciples or your congregation. Like, no, this is how we apply Krishna consciousness right here. Yeah. Yeah, let's instead of jumping, let's go to Abhidea and Prayoda. No, no, let's go to Sambanda first, so to say. Let's be grounded. Yeah. Okay, yeah. what happened and what actually happened? Which are the implications? And, and that may require years and decades of conversation, even if externally no actions are being taken. <laughs> Just the action of talking mm-hmm. about it, that's in itself a very, very important action. And unless we have clear, deep, open conversations, I mean, still the, the thing will be modeled and the understanding won't be won't be clear of, of what we, needs to be addressed and what needs to be solved because still it's not clear in 
in theory, in concept, what actually happened, which were the consequences, and, and what's right. the what's the required well, measurements? Because we're not being engaged. Mm -hmm. We're being if if it's ever talked about, it's without us even present. And they yeah. want to hear from a psychological expert who was never there. Mm -hmm. They want to hear from Vaishnava people who are healers that never experienced it. Yeah. But yeah. very rarely, you know, my generation and my elders, you know, who actually lived through it and are now, you know, surviving, living, or even thriving, we're not part, we're not invited to have these conversations. Hmm. So yeah, just by us being present in the conversation publicly and mm -hmm. so on, just putting those two things in the room, like you said, and just that itself will ignite. And we don't know what that healing process will look like exactly. But wow, what if you just did that? Mm. Yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, we may not know how the healing process will look like, but we'll, we know how it should look like the very first step of that whole process, <laughs> which is mm. let's in invite each other, let's have a conversation, let's hear what generations like yours have to say. Let's engage them. Because if you are not engaging them, you are disengaging them in, in this case. And this is no. that's akin to disempowering people. And that's impersonalism, basically, in my own <laughs> understanding. If someone Quite. I mean, went, through, children, went through some abuse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And daughters, and it's like a whole family generations have just been lost. Mm -hmm. and can, but, but can quickly be recovered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with having these kind of conversations. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we really underestimate the power of conversation. But again, when we are talking conversation, we qualify that by creating this safe space, vulnerability, courageousness, openness. That's mm -hmm. a conversation, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> if you take out mm -hmm. all those things, that's not a conversation. It may be just like a bureaucratic parroting or pronouncing of what we are supposed to say, but a conversation is a conversation, which hopefully takes to conversion, communion. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we need we need to have, I mean, the conversation we are having, the two of us is hopefully part of that project. <laughs> Somehow the Certainly. conversation has to be going on in one level or another, in one platform yeah. or another. I think that's in itself a healthy healthy symptom that okay somehow we are we're fighting for for conversation for me that's an extension of kirtan now we we'll, we love so much to speak about kirtan kirtan mm. is the best okay but if you are not able to have an honest conversation what type of sankirtan you are engaging now because mm. sankirtan mm. is a collective effort sankirtan is not something i do only by myself sankirtan right. by definition implies we need each other and we need to learn how to collaborate with each other, to cooperate, to bring this to fruition. Mm. And that mm. extends to how we relate to each other, how able we are to have conversations. Because if not, Sankirtan ends up becoming a, not only musical entertainment, but an evasive device not to have those uh, probably inconvenient, uncomfortable conversations that, that we need yeah. to have, actually. Yeah. Because, yeah, if someone feels, okay, but it's uncomfortable to have the conversation. So the real question is why it's uncomfortable. No? Uh, and, yeah, of course, there is, it's messy, it's complex, it's demanding. And yeah. and what but, is the nature of this discomfort? Let me be in it. What am mm -hmm. I actually experiencing here that I'm calling discomfort? Yeah. Again, that's Udipana. No? Discomfort is coming. Yeah. Okay, I have to take responsibility for my Udipana, <laughs> for what's mm -hmm. triggered.
And also I will say, if I find these conversations, and I'm sure many find them unsettling, challenging, and that's why they are avoiding that. But actually, that's how we prove our loyalty to truth, basically, by going through all that messiness and complexity with integrity and courage. I mean, only then we can say Satyam Param Dimahi, I will say. <laughs> Definitely. When we can separate out that baby from the bathwater, baby Krishna out from that, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> the flood of devastation, like Markandeya Rishi, right? <laughs> <laughs> There is one question that Bhaktirasa has shared here, and I would like to extend it so you can share a few words before we are wrapping up. Bhimakarma, okay. she says, sometimes finding the purpose, quote unquote, in suffering can be even weaponized. You need it to be abused so you can learn this uh -huh. lesson, this type of narrative. So can mm -hmm. you address how finding purpose is actually a way to honor that experience that does not diminish it? I don't know if you have any thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, happy are those to whom such fighting opportunities come unsought, opening for them the doors of the heavenly planets is you know, one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting anecdote is, uh, so there was one headmaster of our Gurukula named Srigalim, and he, uh, I showed up back at Nubrandavan after many years of being gone. And I actually had lost my memory of much of what I had experienced there. And when I uh, came of age at 17, I started getting flashbacks, as they call them, interruptive memories and so on. And so, and then I, you know, I instinctively like went back to New Vrindavan to like, you know, my God, I have to deal with this. Hmm. So as part of that, when I arrived there, I was like, oh, Shrigalim's still here. He was, he did this and he did that. And he was the headmaster and this and that. And uh, at the time there was nobody really not many people left there who knew what he had been involved in or anything. And so he challenged me publicly to defend his reputation at the time. And so I, I had one uh, elder Guru Kuli who was like four years elder than me. And he sat at the table as well. And she, it was in the Prashadam hall, right towards the end of the Prashadam time. And he was like, yeah, I heard been hearing you've been saying these things about me. And you know, you should see that I'm just Krishna's instrument giving you your karma. Mm. So you shouldn't blame me, right? And and actually, I, I also, you, if, you know, you might be a, a shocked to know some of the things that I experienced at the hands of my own father, mm. right, and so on. So I was actually faced with this <laughs> quite directly. Mm. And at the time, I, I, I couldn't really successfully answer to it. My instinct was just, oh, yeah, well, here's some karma. I'll punch you in the face. And then it just goes on forever. Like, you know, okay. It wasn't a really resolved sort of uh, response at the time. <coughs> now, uh, yeah, so the abuser can say anything that I do is, you know, I'm just giving you the gift of, you know, such a great opportunity for, you know, the doors that have the planets are opening. <laughs> right. So uh, in, in a sense, you can play the devil's advocate and say, yes, that's true. Now, uh, which role do you want to play in other people's lives and which results you, you're, you're going to get, depending on what role you choose to play there? Mm. Uh, now, from my side, right, I, we can never know uh, why different karmas 
right, or different experiences rather, are going to come in front of us to respond to. Some people say, oh, you must have molested kids in your past life or murdered people. Let's actually just consider that. for Now, how do you know that? Is that really the only logical reason you could come up with? You know, is there only one reason why a child comes across any type of challenge? A parent never tries to teach them something or... You know, if you're if you're going to be instrumental in healing your community, right? Maybe there's some experiences that are going to especially prepare you for that. Who knows? It's just a myriad of things mm-hmm. could be a reason or a cause. So that's one thing, right? But uh, for that person to come, okay, you want to play that role. You're also going to get the results of playing that role. Whereas for me, no matter what you know they did to me, I was always going to be who I am. And everything just gets transformed because this is the way my life story is always going to go. So whether someone abused me or didn't abuse me, I am who I am. And the fact that I'm able to take some of that abuse, that poison and transform it into Amrita Hmm. is is no credit of yours, my dear sir. Hmm. Right. This is the credit of the touch of Sri Guru's grace in my life combined with the effort mm-hmm. that I engaged in and applying it. And right, the role that you're playing is basically the role of a demon here, right? And you're gonna basically have that experience. So it's like, you really wanna be the, the one who's gonna be playing that role of giving people bad karma and then have to suffer the loss of consciousness and fall into the material pool? Go for it, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit long-winded. No, 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 no. Please, thank you. Here, someone is replying to you. Reply, bravo, Bhima Karma. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, thanks. Thanks for sharing your testimony. And I really appreciate, again, the vulnerability and the courageousness and the redemption coming as a result of that. Uh, we may have not been able to enter into all the details that, we may like to go. This is again, this is an ongoing conversation, Bimakarma, as you may know. It's not just mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. In this particular podcast, we will say everything about the topic. It's just touching one point yeah. of an infinite line and, and, and somehow realizing how much we still need to heal. No? As here Mirabai is sharing, she's saying, I'm just struck by how much we need each other to heal. And she's thanking for the conversation. I remember a few. Months ago, I had an episode with, with Devo Madhava, and the topic came regarding how much uh, trauma we have perpetrated even in our tradition. And we were thinking, well, maybe the, the dharma of our present generation is basically to cry over all the trauma and all the suffering that was done in the past, no? mm-hmm. like, like, like a health, in a healthy, healthy healing, so to say, healthy grieving and mourning. Okay, maybe... We need to cry a few tears, a few oceans, so to mm. say, to, to properly, whether those who were through abuse or those who perpetrated or those who witnessed that silently, which is some another way of extended participation, yeah. so yeah. to say. But yeah. each of us may have to, to embrace a particular set of tears, basically, and, and somehow or other mm-hmm. confronting the the underworld that may be still unresolved. No, like I point, point in my book, no, like a question that we have as a community is, I mean, which traumas from the past have not yet been, yet been as you mentioned, fully admitted, fully resolved, 
actually they remain deeply hidden in, in the unconscious of our spiritual lineage. We have our own collective as unconscious as a sampradaya. And whatever is still there lurking without being addressed, secret it's secretly influencing the present of this, the sampradaya. It's present is influencing the future of the sampradaya. Mm -hmm. So whether we talked it about it or not, that's creating its own influence that will affect for sure present and future. So yeah. I try to make that point in my book. As a community, as a family, we have to confront our collective unconscious. We, we need to do family therapy, if you want to put it like that. Gaudiya mm. Sampradaya needs to do family therapy. <laughs> Not only Gaudiya Sampradaya for sure, but I will say as a family, we need to, to sit together around the table, bring to the table those topics that we may, that have been, how to say, have been hidden through parallel narratives and we need to bring the real narrative and find the actual language to name and frame what needs to be addressed because without mm -hmm. a proper language and a proper conversation, we cannot we cannot proceed to the next stages of healing and so on and so forth. So so I, I, I thank you, Bhima Karma, for coming and, and providing lots of that, lots of language and words and expression and experience, as you mentioned, regarding all this to as a embodiment, so to say, of someone who has gone through certain very unique traumatic experiences that have come uh, triumphant, vulnerable courageousness and continue, of course, in the ongoing project and, and inner work because it has no end. But yeah, happy to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have any, any closing thoughts because I, I may like to continue talking for hours, but I have another program yeah. nearby here in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah. Eventually there may be some part two or whatever for sure, or we will meet soon in Brindavan, I hope. Sure. But if you have any anything else you may like to share, concluding thoughts, whatever may come. I think I... that uh, the main thing that I want to contribute to the world and to you know anybody is be situated in direct experience. Hmm. And that will, you know, some of us are super fortunate to also be able to combine that with great vidya, great knowledge about Sri Krishna's group. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, waking up to direct, just the direct experience of reality is darshan itself. And uh, I think that's the main thing I wanted to be in real direct experience, not just ritual, not just philosophy. And I think that that's just great. <laughs> Thank you so much for such a sutra, oh, personal experience. Mm. Not too much. Thank you so much, Bhima Karma. So, thank you so much to you. Thank you. I will share again your contact for those who have connected a little later. Once those who would like to connect with him on one side, you can visit his website, which is mridanga.com, which probably I'm, I must assume is mostly related to Bhima Karma's teaching and experience with the Murdanga. But as we have seen today, his experience with the Murdanga is very nicely related to many other experiences. And also we have his YouTube channel where he and his wife are presenting different topics like the video I mentioned today before when we started our episode and some others that will come. So the name of the channel is Saragrahi, Seeking the essence. So thank you so much, Bhima Karma. Thank you so much to all of you. And see you next Saturday where we will be having uh, Krishna Chandra Prabhu. He's a very special Vaishnava from Switzerland. So next Saturday, October 14th at 
8 a.m. EDT time a little earlier because I will be in India and different timings. It will be a little bit more practical for me to do it earlier. So the topic we will be sharing with Krishna Chandra Prabhu is somehow quite related to today's topic. The title will be The Beauty of Nonconformity. So we'll be talking about that uh, next Saturday. So hope to see you all there. Thank you so much again, Bhima Karma. And hope you. to see you all very soon. Mm. Jai Shri Krishna.